It's good to see each of you here. You know, as I was getting ready for church, I was going down over a list of, well, no, this person said they're not going to be here, and this family's not going to be here, and that family's not going to be here, and another family's not going to be here. Uh, I guess I <clears throat> dwelt a good bit on who's not going to be here, uh, but we are glad you are here. So what do you preach about today after Christmas? Um... No, you're not getting a Christmas message as such, okay? But I do want to look a little bit at some things leading up to it, uh, and then I will give you the title that comes from a verse that's not in the Christmas story itself. And I thought about it as I went through here. Um, there's a number of times in here it talks about the Son of God. And I didn't catch just everything that John preached about last Sunday, but I think it was uh, the focus was on the Son of Man. Uh, and this is not a, a balancing act with that, okay? It just happens to be some of the scriptures that, uh, well, I shouldn't say happens to be, but this is in some of the scriptures, and that's not my focus this morning on... Um, Yes, it is on the Son of God, but uh, it's not, that phrase is not the focus, okay? So here at the beginning, I want to look a little bit at the angel's message to Mary, the angel's message to Joseph, and the message to the shepherds. Now, I'm just, I've just picked out a few verses in here uh, for a foundation for what uh, was on my mind. Now, the, angel, the angel's message to Mary that says this, Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And that's what the angel told Mary as it related to her son, the Son of God. All right, now the angel's message to Joseph. And this comes from Matthew. But while he thought about these things, and these things would have been uh, the, the dilemma he was in because of Mary being found with child. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I want you to remember that phrase. For he will save his people from their sins. Reading on, so all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, 
and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Now, I don't know how your mind thinks. I mean, I have a little bit of an idea because I'm a human too, I think, sometimes. Um, but it's hard for me to grasp God coming here in this form. I, I just, uh, <laughs> I can't get my, my head around that. But, um, your son is Jesus. He will save his people. And he is God with us. The message to the shepherds. This is from Luke just after the Christmas story or part of the Christmas story. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For unto you, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. There's born a Savior. All right, moving on just a little bit. I want to look at Simeon and Anna when Christ was taken to the temple. Luke 2.25 says, Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at these, those things which were spoken of him. Simeon's message was, I've seen your salvation. This light to the Gentiles, a glory of your people Israel. And then just a couple verses later. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age, who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Israel. So that's the first of Jesus' earthly life. So now, where am I going with this? So I'll give you the title now. He's coming again. This was his first coming. 
but he's coming again. I've been reading late in the New Testament, and so I've read through Hebrews, and it just uh, blessed me abundantly. So I want to get you the verse where I took the title from. Hebrews 9.28 says, So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. And this right here is where the title came from. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time. He's coming back. Now before I go to Hebrews, now I want to go and pick up some things about Christ at the end of his earthly life where he was giving this sacrifice. Part of that verse that I didn't read was he was offered once to bear the sins of many. He's coming back again not to give any sacrifice for sin but to bring culmination to our salvation. So at the cross, in Matthew, and this first verse that I'm going to read, I'm going to give you each of the accounts in the Gospels of, of what took place. Because you see, Jesus' life was not taken. He gave it. Those soldiers didn't take his life. Matthew 27, 50 says, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and <coughs> yielded up his spirit. Mark 15, 37, Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. Luke 23, 46, when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. John 19.30, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Christ gave his life at the end of his earthly ministry. Continuing on in Matthew's account, after verse 50, verse 51, Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. Now there you have that phrase, and like I said, it's not has nothing to do with what John preached about the Son of Man last Sunday. But yet it has everything to do about what he preached about the Son of Man. So when those that were there, that centurion and those with him, saw the earthquake, saw the things that happened, they were greatly afraid. And they said, truly, this was the Son of God. Mark's account says this. When the centurion which stood over against him saw that he, had, he so cried out 
and gave up the ghost, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. Luke. So when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. In that moment, they recognized Jesus for who he was. At least the centurion and those there with him recognized Jesus for who he was. But part of what brought me to what I'm looking at this morning was the happenings at Jesus' death, where it says that veil was rent from the top to the bottom. And you'll see the the um, at least part of what that does for us by having that rent veil because of Christ's sacrifice. A couple of verses from Hebrews chapter 6. Thus God, determined to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. And what is this hope? This hope we have as an anchor for the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil in that holy of holies where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So, if you forget everything else I say this morning, just don't forget that you have a high priest that took apart that veil, so we have access to God anytime. You don't have to wait till next year when the high priest goes in there to offer sacrifices for his sins first and then for your sins. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 9. And I want to read at least a good portion of a couple of chapters here in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 9. I want to read a few verses and then look at them just a little. And I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on these this morning. But you think about what Christ coming as Savior and as that veil was rent, that block between where the habitual sacrifices were and that once a year sacrifice was offered for sin, that veil was taken down in his death and resurrection. In his death. Talks about that veil being rent. And I don't know if it has any significance to you, but it does to me when it talks about it being rent from the top to the bottom. It's not a matter that somebody suddenly grabbed a hold of it and rent it from the bottom up. It was rent from the top to the bottom and gave access to that that was shielded from all but the high priest with blood. Chapter 9 of... Hebrews. Then verily the first covenant, I want to read verse 13 of chapter 8. In that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. 
Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary or earthly building, earthly tent. From there, for there was a tabernacle made, the first, wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. That's where the priests went. Verse 3, And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer, the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna, and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. And over it the cherubim of glory shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, there where the table and the showbread and so forth were, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while as the first tabernacle was yet standing. Not everything was revealed yet about that most holy place. Verse 9, which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse wash divers' washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. So that's the picture of Life for Israel before Christ came. They had to do these offerings. They had these sacrifices for the high priest, for the people. Now verse 11. But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. So now we're changing gears. We're not going to be talking about that physical tent that blocked off the, the holy place and the most holy place. Verse 12, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh. Taking a bath, if you want to put it that way, cleaned up the outside, cleaned up the body. Verse 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. That's Christ ushering in the New Testament, the new covenant, the new access to God. Verse 15. And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament that by means of death 
for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. I want to stop there just a little bit. Christ brought the ones that were in that tabernacle experience their salvation. He culminated that. And some of these things, that uh, that's why you used to hear one brother, and he's dead and gone now, and I still love him. I had a problem when he would talk about our sins being covered. That's what they experienced in the old covenant. Once a year. When Christ came, it completed that. It washed them away for those that were under the old covenant. And I thought about this when Anson read this morning. Verse 40 of chapter 11 said this, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Because now they were made perfect because of the sacrifice of Christ. All right, continuing on in chapter 9, verse 16. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. So, the death of the testator, Christ, completed everything that happened for those Old Testament believers that were following the letter of the law. Verse 18, Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood, for when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood is no remission. So here you have Moses sprinkling the priests, sprinkling the people, the tabernacle, and the things in that first section of the tabernacle. He sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And I take that to be that table and the bread and that kind of thing. Verse 23. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in heaven, things in the heavens, should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Those weren't enough. Verse 24, For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So we don't have to go to that tabernacle anymore and go into the most holy place. We go to the most holy place through our high priest Christ, which opened up that access. Verse 25, nor yet that he should offer, off, offer himself often as the high priest entered into the holy place every year with blood of others. 
For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrificing of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. He's coming back again. But that coming is not to put away sin. He's not coming back to sacrifice himself again. He's coming back to take us with him as we have accepted that sacrifice and we depend on him for our high priest in access to God. I thought it was interesting when... uh, the graves were opened there at Christ's crucifixion. And then it says, I didn't just look into all these things, but in talking about them coming up and going into the city after his resurrection. So I don't know if the graves lay open there for three days and then they came up after he rose, but anyhow, it's what Scripture says. The second time he comes, go read the picture in 1 Thessalonians about those graves being opened again and the dead in Christ are going to rise at his second coming. Chapter 10. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never, with those sacrifices which were offered year by year, continually make the comers thereof unto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. If those sacrifices would have taken care of the sin problem, Christ wouldn't have been needed. But without Christ, that sin problem in the Old Testament isn't taken care of. Chapter 3, I mean verse 3. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Then said I, Lo, I come, to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offerings and burnt offerings and offering for sin, thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, 
which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us for after that he had said, there, said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore... Brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. I think I'll stop reading right there. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Can we have a song, please? <laughs> 